We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Digest podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated on Fan Nation. Really big episode today. Excited to welcome in our SI UCLA Bruins publisher, Sam Conan. He's uh, covering the Bruins out there in the Los Angeles area. Uh, you know, UCLA is having a, a heck of a year so far. Definitely the best that they've had in quite a while. Sam, how are you doing, man? Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Max. Yeah, it's it's been an up and down season, a, a weird season, highs and lows. Uh, but it, it's it set up a really good game this weekend, so definitely looking forward to that. I, I can't wait to get back out there to L.A. I was just there last week, but, um, you know, following the team is, is always a fun time. And, and you know, we, we're going to talk in this video kind of about what's at stake. But, um, you know, lots to get into here with this UCLA team. We're going to switch up some of the format that we've usually done for, for the people that are listening to this. This will uh, also be on the YouTube channel as well. So if you, uh, you want to watch the video uh, with some multi-platform excellence, head on over to Oregon Football Max Taurus, and you can see uh, Sam and I doing our thing talking about this matchup. But I think when we're looking at UCLA, Sam, we got to start with Dorian Thompson-Robinson. He is the focal point of that Bruins offense. He's one of the best signal callers in the country. Just kind of tell me, you know, what, what do you think the Bruins have in DTR and what does he bring to the table? Yeah, I think when it comes to Doran, he's such a dynamic playmaker and he, he's got obviously really good speed on the ground. He's agile. He's just an overall good runner, but when it comes to his arm, he's got a lot of throw power uh, and, and pretty good accuracy. Uh, but just overall, physically, he's there. He's definitely there. Uh, there had been some questions the past few years with decision-making, but this year, only two interceptions through seven games. So he's definitely fixed that, whatever the issues were there, whether it was mechanical or just mentally, he's fixed that. Uh, the, the thing about Dorian, though, is that through the first couple games, he couldn't really put together a, a complete game. He would be just kind of shaky coming out of the gates in the first half happened against Hawaii, happened against Arizona for sure, uh, and Stanford a little bit to an extent, where he would kind of come out of the gates slow and then the second half just go all out and rack up the stats and put the game away, which was good. Uh, but I think what you really saw this past week against Washington was a complete game from him. He was 21-26, 183 yards, one passing touchdown, two rushing touchdowns, 87 rushing yards, didn't take a sack. 
his first half, his second half, just start to finish. He was really good. That's the kind of guy that UCLA needs, someone who can get into a rhythm, who they're not like forcing to, to make a crazy comeback and six crazy throws in a row. They need Dorian to get into a rhythm, to hit a bunch of short passes, use the play action. And I think that's how Dorian will succeed, how, how the UCLA offense will succeed. Because as good as that running game is, it can only take them so far in some of these bigger games. So you're going to need DTR to, to play up to his ceiling pretty much for, for both halves. I think we see some similarities there as far as, you know, playing a full four quarters and, and being consistent, right? Because that, that's something when you're looking at the Oregon team, they really haven't done that since the Ohio State game in, in week two in Columbus. And I think that we see, obviously, uh, you know, what benefits kind of come from that. And Oregon hasn't been a team that has started, you know, fast. That's not been a calling card for them over these past couple seasons. So I think especially when you're the visiting team, um, obviously there's so much excitement around uh, UCLA. I, I don't know how hostile of an environment, you know, you would maybe call it just because of how they've been performing over the past couple years. But there's as much juice around this program as there's probably been in quite some time, uh, obviously with how well they're playing. But when we're talking about defending DTR, Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be such a big part of that, right? You know, he wasn't able to play in the first half against Cal, comes into that second half and just takes over, you know, pressure, pressure, pressure uh, on, I think it was half of his snaps uh, was that stat from PFF that everybody's talking about now. So as it relates to that, Sam, you know, let's maybe talk a little bit about the offensive line because that's a big part of how Dorian Thompson Robinson is going to be able to be effective in the passing game. Yeah, definitely. Coming into this year, the UCLA offensive line was pretty highly praised. Uh, you had Sean Ryan at left tackle. He's probably going to be a mid to late first round pick uh, in the NFL draft this year. He's a junior. Then you had uh, Paul Gratton, who was a grad transfer from Villanova a couple years ago at left guard. Sam Marazzo at center, John Gaines at right guard, and uh, Alec Anderson at right tackle. Everyone on on that line is experienced. Uh, you had Sam Marazzo get hurt, so now you got Gaines. Uh, he had been playing center. He's sticking at right guard. Now it's to Clemens at center, who's experienced, but not so much at center. So that center right guard rotation, there were a few questions there, but past three weeks, it's been the same starting guys. So it, it, they, there's some some continuity and some consistency there. Uh, at left guard, um, you mix in Antonio Mafia a little bit too. He's a former defensive lineman uh, who's got a lot of size. He's pretty agile for someone as big as he is, almost 350 pounds or something. Uh, so the UCLA has six good offensive linemen who are all experienced. And last week against Washington, didn't allow a sack. And DTR's jersey was clean, and, and he was appreciative of his O-line for that because he plays better when he's clean. And, and I don't know if he's going to get that type of protection against Oregon because Oregon's front seven is, especially because of Kayvon Thibodeau, much better than Washington's because you had a couple weeks ago against Arizona where DTR in the first half was one for eight uh, and with an interception and a touchdown. And the reason he was so all over the place, so thrown off is because of the way Arizona was blitzing. And that's Arizona who probably has one of the least talented rosters in the Pac-12 and if they could scheme something up and get to Dorian and make him uncomfortable, then uh, who knows what Kayvon Thibodeau, Oregon, and, and everyone up there and, and coming from Eugene can do. Oregon's front seven is is getting a lot healthier. Uh, I just recorded a recent video for, for the channel just talking about some of the injury updates that we're seeing. Uh, Mace Funa was a guy that, that wasn't able to go uh, last week against Cal. 
So having him back is going to be big, especially with, with uh, you know, needing to contain a guy like Dorian Thompson Robinson and, and the rushing attack that the Bruins have. Uh, definitely want to get to that. But just since you were talking about the offensive line, I think that uh, Oregon's front seven has struggled in large part to get pressure on the quarterback. And if they can't get pressure on Dorian Thompson Robinson, man, that is a guy that you can't afford to give too much time to operate back there. And then even when they are able to get pressure, it's it's not a, a done deal that they're going to be able to, to get him on the ground with how fast and agile and quick he is. So really going to be an emphasis for this Oregon defense to finish plays. They got Braden Swinson back. He uh, played his first game since Ohio State um, against Cal, so he he is looking pretty good. And then DJ Johnson looks like he's uh you know becoming a regular on the defensive side of the ball. So uh, that's been one of my favorite stories to follow this year is the versatility that he brings to the table. So we've talked about the uh, prolific quarterback and Dorian Thompson Robinson, gotten some tidbits from Sam on this uh, offensive line, but we'd be remiss, Sam, if we didn't talk about that amazing duo in the backfield, Zach Charbonnet, the Michigan transfer, and Britton Brown, probably the best one-two punch in the Pac-12, maybe in the country. I mean, they just have UCLA, UCLA's offense humming. So what can you tell me about those two and you know what Oregon really has in store preparing for the UCLA rushing attack? Yeah, I think the most difficult thing with these two guys, with Charbonnet and Brown, is just how – and it, it's almost sounds like a negative, but how interchangeable they are because they're physically, they're both very similar guys. And, and when it comes to their play style, they're both pretty similar. So I think that makes it tough on defenses to kind of see like, Oh, Charbonnet's coming in. They're going to, they're going to pass Brown's coming in. They're going to run. You don't really know. So that that's something that makes it hard on opposing defenses because you don't really know why one guy's coming in over the another. We try to get stuff out of Chip Kelly at, at practice media availability, but he just keeps harping on how similar they are and how that is very much a, a, a pro for how they call the offense. So both of them are, are both tough physical backs, uh, good at finding holes, good at shaking off tacklers. So they, they're, I mean, Charbonnet has almost 700 yards. Brown's around 470 that's through seven games. And as a team, UCLA is rushing for about 230 yards a game. So it's definitely a dangerous ground attack. The offensive line plays a big part in that, but having a dynamic running quarterback who can run different types of options, and whether it's read, read option, RPO, triple option, whatever it is. And then you have two running backs who can, I don't want to say they can do it all, but they can kind of come in and out where wherever it is. It's third and long. It's fourth and inches it's on the goal line they're whatever it is they're both pretty good running backs i feel like everyone who, who's watched them would be able to tell that so having all of those weapons on the ground for ucla has really been the key for them so far this year i could definitely see it uh giving tim deruder some fits with how interchangeable they are you know not really knowing okay maybe they're in this situation when they could favor charbonnet or or brown but what really surprises me sam you know, I knew a little bit about Charbonnet coming out of college, right? Or high school, I should say. Um, I know he was a, a pretty big name out in the Southern California area where you're at, your neck of the woods. But my question for you is, you know, you go to a big time school like Michigan, which I feel like is is known for having, uh, you know, a, a pretty, you know, run heavy offense. What do you think has made it, you know, so that Charbonnet can have such a successful season so far at UCLA? I think 
It's interesting because you talk about his time at Michigan and he was great as a freshman, sophomore year, kind of dinged up, lost snaps, came back home to Southern California like you were talking about. And I think he just really meshed with what this team needed uh, when it when it comes to the style of back. Because last year, the past couple of years, UCLA's had a bunch of good running backs. So it's Joshua Kelly, Demetric Felton, Britton Brown kind of appearing a little bit towards the end of last season, like he could be the next next guy. And Britton Brown had over 200 rushing yards in the season finale against Stanford last year. So you could tell that the way this offensive line was built, bringing everyone back, it, it was going to work well with that type of runner. And then you bring in another guy. So you have Brown and Charbonnet who are both fit the way that Kelly runs the offense now uh, fit right next to a mobile quarterback and fit with each other. Uh, I think that really set up Charbonnet to, to kind of take that leap. And he has, I mean, Maybe he hasn't been as efficient as he was against Hawaii and LSU to start the year when he was averaging 13 yards a carry. But I mean, he's That's got, insane. Uh, he, he was putting up stupid video game numbers, but now he's coming back down to earth. And the funny thing is that down to earth is back to back hundred yard games for him. So. Yeah. So the, the ducks will have their hands full there. Um, you know, with, we've talked about the, the backfield with DTR and, and Robinson or sorry, yeah, DTR and uh, Charbonnet, rather, and Britton Brown. Get my names mixed up here. But um, I think one of the guys that I've been really impressed with uh, has been Kyle Phillips, right? He is he's definitely, I feel like, the go-to wide receiver for, for the Bruins, and, and he's so versatile as a returner as well. Um, just as we kind of wrap up the offensive side, Sam, you know, what, what can you tell me about Phillips and just kind of a little bit more about the offensive weapons that, that Kelly has at his disposal? Yeah, I think it, it was a good tell this past weekend when UCLA went up to Washington. Uh, they didn't have Kyle Phillips. He, he didn't travel with the team for undisclosed reasons. He's back at practice this week, though, so he'll probably be playing against Oregon. But UCLA kind of had to change the way it passed the ball without Phillips there. Uh, I mean, DTR only had about 180 yards on 20, 26 attempts, so they're obviously not pushing it downfield, but it's not like Phillips is a deep threat. I mean, he can do a lot of things, but when you don't have Phillips in there, you kind of have to spread the ball around, take those cheap, easy, short routes. Because when Phillips is in, he can line up outside the numbers. He can line up in the slot. He can come in motion. He can do pretty much anything you want. They like to target him over the middle. Uh, they, they like to target him towards the sideline, whatever it is. He and DTR have a really good connection. Uh, so for a UCLA fan, it was promising to see the pass game succeed without him, but obviously it works much, much better when he's there. He gives them a, a whole other dynamic, a whole other layer to that passing game. Uh, because, I mean, you look at a guy, his play style, his size, and you think he's just a, a your run-of-the-mill slot guy, but he had six, he had six receiving touchdowns to start the year uh, in six consecutive games. So... He's a, he's a red zone threat. He's a big play threat. He can get those third and, and mediums, and he, he can really do it all. And UCLA will definitely need him against a more talented Oregon defense than the Washington one they, they beat this past weekend without him. Yeah, so, okay, Phillips sounds like he's going to, um, you know, could be could be in line to, to return to the lineup for the Bruins. Bruins have a lot of talent at, at tight end as well with, with Greg, uh, is it Dulcich? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Yep. Greg Dulcich. Yeah, I think he's he's widely regarded as one of the top tight ends in, in the pack. Michael Azik as well. 
or Ezekiel. I can't remember how to pronounce that yeah, one. Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Okay. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's a name that, that uh, Oregon fans should be pretty familiar with. He was a, uh, he was a guy that was uh, heavily involved with Oregon as, as a recruit um, was actually committed to Oregon at one point under Willie Taggart. Um, but obviously now he's a, uh, he's uh, in Westwood playing for, for Chip Kelly. So, uh, you know, as we kind of wrap up the offense, like I was saying, Sam, you know, was there anything else that, that you think is, is worth hitting on here that that could be important to know when, when these two teams meet? Yeah, I think uh, looking at Ezekiel, that's an interesting case because obviously you have Dulcich who, who's out there almost every down for UCLA. Uh, maybe like last week against Washington, he doesn't get a lot of targets, but then he came through and had a he had a pitch pass catch and a, a touchdown that won the game for UCLA. So he'll be important. But then you, you look at Ezekiel and he didn't play too much earlier in the year because they had Mike Martinez as their, their second tight end who would play. They they'd run a lot of 12 personnel with two tight ends out there. And, and Martinez would be that guy who would be kind of a sixth offensive lineman. But once he went out with an injury against Fresno state, uh, they've kind of had to roll Ezekiel out there a little more. Who's not as good of a blocker as Martinez. So they've been running routes a little bit more with that second tight end. And he hasn't really done much at all so far this year. He has off the top of my head, I think just two targets drop both of them and he has a holding. So not good, but you think the fact that they keep throwing him in there when they have a bunch of pretty good veteran, solid uh, fundamentally sound guys below him on, on the depth chart. You think that one of these days he's going to break out, whether it's with a 25 yard catch or some weird red zone play where he slips out and gets a touchdown. So I'd say definitely keep an eye on him. Like you were saying, uh, because it's, it's bound to happen but at some point with Ezekiel. You mentioned 12 personnel and you having two tight ends on the field at the same time. We saw that we saw a ton of that in the Fiesta bowl last year. Uh, when Oregon played Iowa State, and they just got shredded uh, with, with two tight ends, so they they haven't really been able to to corral a two tight end set. Um, you know, it's not really been a strength for them. But with how many guys they have coming back, I think that'll that'll really help them. Jeff Bossa, the converted safety, got his first start uh, at linebacker for the Ducks last week. So um, you know we'll see if maybe they they try to run the ball a little bit more given that Bossa, um, like I said, came in as a DB and as a, as a bit undersized. I mean, he he looked like a linebacker. He had that kind of body type when he came to came to enroll in at Oregon. But we'll see if he if uh, how he kind of meshes here and and the Ducks still trying to figure things out from a defensive standpoint uh, along the linebacker core. But you know they have Noah Sewell. He's a guy that you have to talk about when you're talking about the Oregon defense. Named the Pac-12 Freshman of the Week last week. He's just a machine. He gets it done, and I feel like he's just getting better every every week. He's having big games every week. So I think that you know when you're talking about the 12 personnel, that's something that Oregon fans should definitely keep an eye on because if they can, if DTR just distributes to the tight ends and then pounds the rock with with a uh, Brown and Charbonnet, that that could make for a long day for this Oregon defense. But uh, also one last thing to to talk about with the the Oregon defense, they haven't forced a turnover in two games, I believe. Uh, Bennett Williams, a star safety out for the year. So you figure that that kind of plays into it a little bit, but Jamal Hill is kind of getting, uh, you know, getting more comfortable back in, in things here, uh, playing that star position for Tim DeRuiter's defense. But um, I think that's kind of everything I wanted to talk about as far as the, the UCLA offense goes. And I think we had a lot of good stuff on the the Oregon defense and how, how are the Ducks going to prepare to slow down one of the best offenses in the Pac-12 so let's switch gears here, Sam. What do you say? Let's talk about 
the UCLA defense. I have some points here I want to talk about as far as it relates to Oregon. You know, some guys there, some of the storylines that we have our eye on with uh, Joe Moorhead uh, returning to coach with the team last week. But I think when we're looking at the UCLA defense, at least what stands out the most to me, it's got to be that run defense, right? One of the the top run defense, the top run defense in the Pac-12. Uh, looking at the stats here, 91 yards a game, so super stingy up front. Um, let's start there. You know, what, what can you tell me about how this team's been able to slow down the run so well? Yeah, so I think the interesting thing here is a lot of people who watch UCLA or maybe watch that Arizona State game, which was big, or, or that Fresno State game with the crazy fourth quarter there by Fresno State, you know that UCLA's pass defense isn't very good. So when you see those those run defense numbers, you probably just assume like, oh, it's just because teams don't run against them because they know they can pass. So whatever. But then you look a little deeper into the stats. They're also number one in the Pac-12 in yards per attempt allowed at 3.2. So guys really aren't breaking up big plays on the ground on them. And then you just go to the the nation as a whole. They're ninth in the country in rushing yards allowed per game. And then it only drops to 15 when you go yards per carry. So they're efficient in the in the run defense, and just because of the way their games have played out, it's it's looked pretty good in the gross numbers too. I think a lot of that has to do with the veteran defensive line up front: uh, Odoa Isibor, Tito Abonia, Ty Manoa, Daytona Jackson, all kind of interior uh, slash defensive end kind of guys. And then I would say a big part has been. Uh, moving Bo Calvert from inside linebacker down into the the Raider, the Bruin spot in the four two five defense. Uh, he w- was always a, a good veteran player at inside linebacker, but you could tell there wasn't really a fit with the position there. You move him to the outside linebacker kind of role, and he's played really well uh, in both pass rush and the the run defense. I think he and Carl Jones, who play that position, have been a, a really big part. And you got Quantrez Knight and Martel Irby the two guys playing striker, uh, the, the nickel position for them, uh, who have also been really good. I think that's just really helped them suffocate the opposing teams behind the line of scrimmage and just turn into a really good run defense for the second year in a row. Last year's run defense was pretty good. This year's is looking even better. Got some names to keep an eye on there. Uh, talking with Sam Conan, UCLA publisher for Sports Illustrated, SIL Bruins. If you're just joining us, um, with, with this defensive line, it looks like, you know, having that strength in the interior is going to be something to watch because Oregon is rooted uh, in the rushing attack. Travis Dye had a, had a great game. Uh, I feel like, you know, maybe people were a little skeptical. Is he going to be able to, to run it in between the tackles and, and be that physical guy like Verdell was? And, you know, they're, they're different players, right? You know, you can't expect Dye to do everything that Verdell did, but Dye is special in his own right, you know, since we're talking about the Oregon offense and how they're going to combat that that run defense that, that UCLA has, I think I'm going to be, I'm going to be interested to see how the running back rotation shakes out. We saw Byron Carwell uh, get some carries against you uh, against Cal, excuse me. Um, but they have a ton of talented backs with, with Trey Benson as well. He's going to be in the rotation. Crystal ball said that, that he's healthy. He's uh he's good to go this week uh, as, as it pertains to his status and being available. And then you also have seven McGee, who just seems like a big play waiting to happen. Reminds me a little bit more of Travis Dye, uh, just super explosive and kind of a quick twitch guy that I think that the, the offense should get um, you know, a little bit more involved here. But it's an interesting situation with the running backs because 
you know, you never want anyone to get hurt. Uh, you know, the staff's definitely, and the team's definitely going to miss CJ this year. But, uh, you know, if you flip the other side of the coin, you know, these unfortunate circumstances give Oregon the opportunity to see what they have in a lot of these really young running backs. So, you know, UCLA has Charbonnet and, and Britton Brown, but the Ducks have some talented running backs that, that they can, uh, you know, trot out there. And, and you're going to have to give them some some carries at some point. You know, you don't want them to, to go into next year, you know, just super, super green and, and not knowing what's going on. So I think that that'll be something to watch for in this one, how that shakes out. We still don't really know what the, the rotation is going to look like because, to be honest, we didn't see much of a rotation against Cal, you know, Travis Dye was the offense for Oregon. Uh, Anthony Brown had some touchdowns as well, but obviously it's running through Dye. So we hear about the the offense or sorry, the defensive line, Sam, uh, but maybe we can kind of walk through, through the levels here. You know, what, what else are we looking at with, with this UCLA defense uh, defense? Uh, I know that UCLA is known for, for having pretty strong linebacker play, but maybe this is a time for Oregon to, uh, you know, open things up through the passing game since they're looking pretty vulnerable there. Yeah, looking at the linebackers first, uh, you had Jordan Jenmarkeith, who transferred in from Notre Dame, uh, who's who's been a pretty good veteran presence over the middle, kind of do-it-all kind of guy. He, he's got size, uh, but for someone his size, he's pretty good at, at covering the pass. Uh, Ale Cajo, uh, transfer from Alabama, is also pretty good uh pass defending linebacker he's a little undersized but he makes up for it with that pass defense same with uh Kane Madrano uh he, he's pretty athletic pretty small for an inside linebacker but once again he, he's he's pretty good in coverage just because of that speed and then you got Caleb Johnson who's maybe not the the best in coverage uh if he ever gets matched up with with someone in coverage whether it's a tight end or slot guy that's definitely someone Oregon can target uh, but he is a good pass rusher from that inside linebacker position. Uh, he's a veteran. He, he transferred in from the junior college route. So UCLA has a lot of veteran guys, maybe not veteran guys in this system, but they, they've built through the transfer portal, portal. And that linebacker position is really an example of, of how, because you have Medrano who came here initially and you have John John Vons, who's, who's a dual sport guy. Also, he's a center fielder for the baseball team. But all the other contributors in that linebacking core really are transfers. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. So looking to, to maybe get some more consistency there and continuity. The transfer portal is such an interesting concept because you're seeing how it, it's, uh, you know, forcing some guys out clearly because the, the school has good options, but maybe some of these lower programs, you know, you turn to the transfer portal more frequently because that's how you build your team. If you're maybe not recruiting at a, at a very high clip. So sounds like UCLA has made some, some good moves in the transfer portal to, to bring in some linebacker help. And obviously that's a, a level that you, you want to experience at all levels, but I feel like you usually have, you know, one of the captains on your defense uh, in the linebacker core. So getting a little bit better of a sense of, of what UCLA has there, but um you know, something else to, to look at here, Sam, is Oregon's passing attack is, has been very, very pedestrian, right? You know, through, throughout the year, I think a lot of people expected so much more from the passing offense just because the Ducks have so much talent uh, at the skill positions. You know, you can talk, you have your your pick of, of big names, right? You have Troy Franklin coming in, uh, Dante Thornton, both of those guys were SI-99. Uh, recruits out of the 21 class and then people were clamoring for Ty Thompson to be quarterback and, you know, boos that were heard in Austin stadium uh, after the last game, uh, Ryan walk saying that those motivated the team uh, and, you know, the ducks obviously got it done, but for, for Oregon and their skill positions, I think Devin Williams has been a fun guy to watch as he's kind of looking like he's becoming more of a regular contributor uh, coming out of Southern California transferring from USC and I think that the staff, the staff has told us that it's it's really coming from you know him taking some accountability and, and he's practicing well. Um, but he's you know he's got to be one of the most physically imposing wide receivers in, in the Pac-12. So my question for you, Sam, is you know how, how vulnerable do you think this this UCLA secondary really is, um, especially after you know going up against a, a quarterback who maybe isn't isn't too strong in Dylan Morris uh, in that last game. Yeah, I think part of the reason why this UCLA secondary has seemed to improve over the past few weeks is, well, they played Dill Morris and Washington last week, like you said, not the best pass attack. And the week before, they played Arizona. And Jordan McLeod was actually playing pretty well against them, but the second he got hurt and Gunnar Cruz came in, it, Cruz was just awful. So uh, the the UCLA pass defense has improved, but it's hard to judge how much just based on the competition. Uh, the last time they faced a receiving core as physical as Oregon's was probably Stanford. Uh, and UCLA won that Stanford game a couple of weeks ago at this point, but they were kind of getting bodied a little bit in the red zone uh, and towards the end of the first half, especially um, by those Stanford receivers who are notorious for just out physicaling and out muscling the UCLA secondary. And it happened again this year. So uh, we'll see if it happens against Oregon. You, you look at the the cornerbacks and safeties for UCLA, and uh, there's a lot of experience there. Uh, maybe not a lot of top end talent from those those guys. No names that jump out as you as future NFL superstars or anything, or former five star recruits. Uh, you have uh, Quentin Lake and Stefan Blaylock uh, as the two starting safeties. They're pretty good. Uh, Lake was a little banged up early in the year, but. Now he's back at full strength, playing pretty well. Had a really good game against Washington. 
Uh, Blaylock had a few penalties, but overall he, he's he's pretty good. And you look at the corners, you have uh, Cam Johnson, uh, who he transferred in from North Texas. He's been pretty good. Uh, he's been a, a positive, I'd say. Not a, a game breaker or anything, but pretty good. Obi Ebo is a grad transfer from Stanford last year. He's was kind of bad last year. He's gotten much better this year. Still not an all pack 12 level player, but a, a good player who's gives you what you expect from a 60 year guy at this point. Uh, and then Jay Shaw um, is pretty good as well. Uh, he's a senior. He's been here the whole time for UCLA. All those guys are pretty good. They have the, the veteran presence not to, mess up and make horrible mistakes and bad tackles and miss coverages and stuff like that. Um, but then Devin Kirkwood, the freshman, he, he had the game ceiling interception against Washington. He's really the only guy who you could match up with a physical Oregon wide receiver because he's long. He's got the long arms, about six, two, six, three. Uh, so he's got really good size for a corner with the wingspan, with the athleticism. So even though he's a little more inexperienced, you might want to trust him against a guy who could kind of outmuscle some of these veterans. Yeah, you mentioned the the Stanford wide receivers. I mean, Oregon obviously had their uh, their share of troubles with them just just playing jump ball at, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, right? I think that's one of the the things with Stanford that that people have you know kind of been weary of. You know, when are we gonna? When is it gonna? Is it gonna, is the game gonna come down to just you know tossing the ball up in the red zone? And seeing who can get, uh, you know, finish on the right side of that, and you know, unfortunately for Oregon, they haven't, uh, you know, been on the the right end in that past week. But for the for the UCLA secondary, it sounds like they have some some pretty capable guys that that can step up. When you mention physical receivers, I, I have to start with Johnny Johnson. That's the first guy I think of for Oregon. Uh, Oregon's wideouts have have been improving, I think, throughout the year when they when they have had chances. Uh, Chris Hudson, the guy that has emerged quite a bit he had that fumble against Cal last week but I think he does really well in space and and he's kind of been an explosive play kind of guy and then talk about Devin Williams it looks like Brown's getting some chemistry with him some back shoulder throws uh from that game against Cal so definitely keep an eye on him he's gonna need to have a big game I think for Oregon to get it done and 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 just with how uh UCLA secondary has performed here in their passing defense you know ranked last in the Pac-12 at 290 yards a game 290.1 uh, look for Brown to to hopefully open things up a little bit more. I mean, I, Oregon fans have been clamoring for that the whole season. He had a really nice touchdown to Jalen Red uh, last week. You know, threading the needle through a couple defenders, so that was encouraging. And you know, you, uh, I can't remember the name, but you were talking about a, a six year DB that that UCLA you know has, and they know what they have with him at this point. So we kind of know what we have with Brown. I don't think we're going to expect anything super different. He had a really solid stat line uh, against. Cal 20 for 28 I believe it was 244 yards and and uh, some touchdowns so I don't think he's a guy that's going to kill you through the air necessarily but but he's definitely capable of making plays on the on the ground uh for me it's just a question of is he going to be able to process what he's seeing from the UCLA defense how's that Oregon offensive line going to hold up they do get Alex Forsyth back Mario Cristobal told us on Monday that that he should be back to full speed so that's the center point of their offensive line but you know to be fair here we did hear that last week, and then Forsyth didn't play. So, But they know they have a capable guy in Ryan Walk who can slide over, and they had a, a core of five guys stay consistent for the whole game. Um, I think one thing I wanted to ask, Sam, how has UCLA been doing in the, in the pressure department? Because that's, I think, a big thing to evaluate when, when you're looking at an offense, and it sounds like they do have a lot of veteran guys that are up front. So 
what do you think they bring to the table as far as pass rush? Yeah, I would say that their pass rush is its kind of like their whole defense has been very up and down uh, because you go back to the Fresno State game and the Arizona State game, uh, those two games that they lost, they really did not put any pressure on opposing quarterbacks, especially that Arizona State game where Jaden Daniels just did whatever he wants. Uh, they It's almost like they tried to turn him into a pocket passer and he succeeded as a pocket passer and a runner. So just everything went wrong against Jaden Daniels, obviously a very good quarterback and not going to play him every week, but that definitely wasn't very promising. Uh, but then th- this past week, uh, the past few weeks, they started getting pressure late against Arizona, forced the fumble to help them kind of put the game away there. And then against Washington, start to finish, they're putting on great pressure. They had two sacks, so nothing crazy, but they also really they hit Morris and got in his face and hit him down to the ground on both of his interceptions. So that that's when this UCLA defense is kind of firing on all cylinders is when the pressure that comes from uh, assistant coach Brian Norwood's four two five systems kind of all out really aggressive system. When that pressure leads to plays in the secondary, that's ideal. When there isn't pressure created, like what happened in the Arizona State game, then the secondary just has not been able to hold its own. So the secondary really needs to thrive based on the pressure that the that the D-line brings home, the edge rushers bring home. Mitchell Agude, he's forced four fumbles this year. He's really disruptive just on his own. So he's a guy that you want to keep an eye on if you're an Oregon fan because he can kind of be a, a menace uh, coming over the edge. And then, like I said, uh, Caleb Johnson coming as an inside linebacker is a good pass rusher. And you got a Tito Igbonia and, and Daytona Jackson, all those interior guys who, who are capable of rushing the passer. Uh, they just have to get home. And they, they showed they could against Washington last week, and we'll have to see if they can do it again this week. We'll have to keep an eye on what that Oregon offensive line rotation looks like. Uh, just to, to wrap up that part of it, uh, we were talking to Mario yesterday uh, on Monday, and he was saying that you know part of that rotation is we only saw that five for Oregon, something that we haven't seen all year until the Cal game was the fact that Dawson Jermillo and Jackson Powers Johnson got uh, a little bit uh, dinged up and weren't able to join the team until later in the week as they prepared for Cal. But in uh, and, and kind of a mixed bag of an answer, he also said, you know, had something happened and we were in a situation where we needed them more or less that they could have gone in. So uh, it sounds like from what we can tell, Forsyth is the, is the only person to keep an eye on as far as availability goes. Uh, you know, he had previously been battling some back spasms uh, against Stanford. That's why he wasn't able to go there, but all signs are pointing towards him being able to go here for the UCLA game. Really big return for Oregon. Should he eventually play? But Sam, I think what would be fun now is uh, just talking about some, some broad scope stuff, right? You know, the PAC 12 picture, what this game could mean for both teams. Um, this is uh, Oregon's second game uh, cross division heading into uh, enemy territory. They played Arizona earlier. That was at home, but now they're going to LA Game day is going to be there. There's tons of hype around this game. Just uh, let's dive in there as, talk, as far as talking about what's at stake here for this one. Yeah, it's funny. It was probably about over a month ago that a lot of people who follow the Pac-12 kind of circled this one on their calendar. They're like, oh, okay, UCLA just beat LSU. They're up to, what, 13 in the country. Oregon beat Ohio State. They're in the top four. So those two top 15 teams are going to play in October. And then 
you had Oregon lose to Stanford, you had UCLA lose twice, and people kind of forgot about it until this past weekend when they both won. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, I, I guess that's going to be a really important game because Arizona State loses their game, which kind of brings UCLA back into the picture a little bit because uh, they have that head-to-head with Utah coming up next week, and that'll be huge. But in order to make that one matter, that UCLA has to win this one. And, yeah, like you were talking about with all the hype, having college game day come to Westwood. It's interesting because uh, the last time they came to UCLA was 25 years ago, something like that. And that time they, they set up at the Rose bowl and this time they're going on campus, which is maybe 45 minutes away from the Rose bowl. Um, Students don't really like making that drive to the Rose bowl, but uh, LA traffic. Oh yeah. It's yeah. 45 minutes turns into an hour and a half, whatever it is. Uh, (laughs) But I think that'll be really fun seeing the the UCLA students pretty much for the first time ever get college game day on campus and, and really absorb all of that. And it couldn't really be for a better game because this is this is the game of the season in the Pac-12. Man, I'm I'm excited for this one. You know, you were talking about how people had the this game scheduled circled on their schedule, I should say. Um, you know, that, that LSU game for, for a lot of folks really put UCLA on the map. I think, you know, they were maybe kind of a, a little bit of an afterthought for some people, as far as the preseason polls go, you know, USC is always going to have a lot of buzz around it with, with how much talent they bring in. They're definitely a stronger recruiting team than, than UCLA has been, you know, historically, but what do you think you were able to really draw from that UCLA, uh, sorry, LSU win? Because uh, that was such a big game for them. Anytime you get a win over a, a big name and and the SEC, people are going to get pretty excited and and uh, you know make pretty pretty big hot takes uh, every now and then. But fast forward now, LSU's four and three, and Edo is uh, going to be out of there after this season. So, what do you think you were able to take away from it? Yeah, I don't really think it matters too much that LSU isn't who we thought they were because at the moment they were top 15, 16 team in the country. And it was an SEC program. Like you said, that, that means a lot uh, when, when you host an SEC team and, and beat them when they're ranked, whatever it ends up going the rest of the season, who knows butterfly effect. If LSU won that game, maybe right now it was still in town and, and they're, they're undefeated. Who knows how things could have gone, but the way things went, uh, it, it was just huge for UCLA to, to win in that environment. It was uh it wasn't the home opener because they played weeks a year against Hawaii, but that Hawaii game, uh, not the best crowd, I'll say. It was pretty uh, pretty sparse. But then you get almost a sold-out crowd at this LSU game, and, and it's under the lights, it, the, the national spotlight's on you. You're playing an SEC team, and you win that game. I think that's what matters more than the X's and O's of it. It's just the how everything came to be and how it all wrapped up with UCLA winning on such a big stage with the pressure on them. And and that's what they're going to have to do again this week against Oregon. So it was valuable experience, even if it wasn't the quality win that they thought it was at the time. Uh, But you can still take away a lot from it. Super, super big for that program to, to get a win like that especially with, I feel like this is kind of a make or break year for, for chip. Right. I mean, with yeah. how long he's been, he's been in, in, in Westwood, people were kind of saying, okay, when are you going to put it together? Especially with Dorian Thompson Robinson. I mean, people must've seen that higher and been like, Oh man, like we're going to see if that chip Kelly offense can be, you know, super high powered and high scoring, like it's been known for. So I think there's a lot of excitement in that regard, but it, with Oregon, they've been playing down to their opponents of late. 
Uh, you know, that's just flat out how it's been. They played up to their opponents against Ohio State, and you know, that's probably a big reason why they won, or part of the reason that they won. So, uh, I mean, it's it's a small sample size, but they have shown up on these primetime games. You know, twelve thirty kick is going to be a little weird. It's definitely going to make a make for an early morning for for you oh, and yeah. I. Um, so, you know, you know, we'll have you guys covered with all that Oregon UCLA coverage, uh, you know, whenever you wake up, I always like to get up at like 6am on game days, uh, just to, just to soak it in and, and watch college game day. Um, so that'll be fun. But, but as we kind of wind down here, Sam, you know, it's obviously been a chaotic year in the PAC 12 and in the entire country. I feel like it's been hard to, to get a good handle on where teams are at, you know, uh, Ohio state. Uh, really didn't resemble what we thought they would um, against Oregon. You know, people were in, in Columbus were pretty critical of that win, but now you fast forward and they're, you know, winning in dominant fashion again. AM got that win over Bama. So it's, how have you kind of reflected on this year, seeing that, uh, you know, so much has happened that we probably didn't expect? Yeah, it, it's as someone who who follows and covers this UCLA team, it's it's almost a little promising not not that it means that ucla is going to vault into the top five or anything but just on a week-to-week basis when you see that alabama loses when you see that ohio state loses it kind of gives your team a little more hope you're saying oh we can we can do anything this weekend and just the way that college football is formatted you can say oh uh, alabama lost well okay that opens up a spot here and who knows maybe we can go to this bowl or that bowl or the playoff is obviously out of the picture for UCLA at this point. Uh, but with how chaotic things are, if they run the table, they're in the Rose Bowl. That's really all they really want. Uh, so it, it's crazy how things like that can happen. And this year, it's seemingly more than ever. Definitely a, a glimmer of hope for a lot of teams with, with all these upsets that are happening, especially in the Pac-12, what feels like every other week now, right? Washington State beat Stanford. Uh, I think a lot of people weren't expecting that to happen. Uh, Colorado beat Arizona, which is, you know, kind of a battle of the bottom feeders, I think is what uh, our Dylan Rubin King called it in his uh, Rubin King's roundup that he likes to release every week, kind of summon up Pac-12 action. Um, but I don't think people maybe expected Colorado to win that handedly. So it just goes to show you that you never really know what can be in store uh, for this one. Uh, you know, Oregon is a, a slight underdog. And this one for uh, those folks over at SI Sportsbook, I think the last time that I checked it, it was a two and a half point favorite. Uh, UCLA was viewed as the two and a half point favorite. So this is why we got to play the game, Sam. You know, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how things ultimately shake out. But before we get out of here, um, you know, I still got to figure out when I'm going to end up posting this. Uh, any other injury, you know, updates that, that you kind of feel like we should have our eye on or you have your eye on? You know, how healthy is this Bruins team heading into that game? We talked about Phillips earlier, but just wanted to make sure I checked in there before we wrapped up. Yeah. So uh, Sam Marazzo, the center, he's been out for a couple of weeks. He'll probably be out for at least another couple more. So it'll be Duke Clemens at center again, same as it has been the last three and a half games. Uh, Kyle Phillips, like I was saying, is participating in practice. Uh, we're not sure the reason he was held out. So we don't know what his availability is, but he looks fine out there. Um, and then uh, on the other side, uh, Mitchell Lagude was, it's kind of coming in and out a little bit against Washington, but from what we've seen at practice this week, he's a full participant. Uh, Paul Gratton, that left guard from uh, from Villanova who transferred in, he is also a full participant. He didn't play much at all in the fourth quarter, with, and they instead had a Tony Amafia at left guard. 
but Chip Kelly said he, he was fully available. It was just a rotation thing. Uh, so it should be pretty much all, all good for this UCLA team. Quentin Lake and, and Mo Osling, who had been banged up recently, they're both back at practice. Um, so you, you have a, a guy like freshman defensive lineman Quentin Somerville who's out. Uh, he hasn't played this year, so it's not like it's it's a, a big thing missing for this UCLA defense. Uh, and then Mike Martinez will continue to be out at, at tight end. Uh, but no huge stars that look like they'll be missing uh, unless something unexpected happens with Kyle Phillips again. Okay. Glad we got that update there so people can know uh, what to expect from a personnel standpoint. Uh, you know, no uh, random faces popping up since uh, Sam's got us covered there. Uh, but Sam, we've reached the conclusion of the podcast. I always like to give people an opportunity to plug their work. Where can people find more of you and uh, your UCLA coverage? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Sam Conan, uh, and then you can follow my site, uh, which is all Bruins, which is the UCLA site for Fan Nation Sports Illustrated uh, at uh, si dot all Bruins, uh, and you can find them on Facebook. The same thing. Uh, yeah, and just go to the sites, si.com slash college slash UCLA, and that's how you can find all the UCLA coverage you could possibly want this week. So I, I definitely advise going there. And uh, yeah, so check it all out. Follow me. We'll, we'll see how this game goes, but it'll definitely be interesting. A lot of buzz around it. We'll be at game day, and we'll be at the actual game on Saturday. Yes, sir. Well, I'm, I'm excited to, to make my way back down to L.A., um, I'm heading down on Thursday, so I'm really excited to see what this environment's like. I've been to a game at the Rose Bowl before, uh, caught uh, Oregon versus Florida State a couple years back. Uh, well, I guess more than a couple. 2015 it was when they were making that uh, run at a national championship um, in 2015 with uh, Marcus Mariota and and all those guys. So excited to, to link up with you in L.A., Sam. I know we're going to cover the heck out of this game. But uh, for folks on my end that are looking for more of my work, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, kindly ask that you subscribe to the channel, Oregon Football Max Taurus. Uh, the support's been great, just past 500 subs, so trying to, to run that up, of course. You can find me on Twitter at Sports right there on your screen, and check us out at DucksDigest.com, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated, as well as Ducks Digest is our username for Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So that'll do it for this one, folks. Thanks to Sam for for hopping on and talking about this big-time game. And uh, we'll see you guys uh, for, for some breakdown stuff after this one wraps up on Saturday. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.